Hey, good morning, Genie Faith Center. This is Pastor Cooper. We are currently in our series, Pro Tips for Living Well, a study in the book of Proverbs. And we thought, let's do some real life hashtag pro tips that we have discovered, things that we think will just really make life a little bit easier. Let's take a look. Do you have road rage? Hashtag pro tip. When you're driving down the road, just say some out of context scripture like the first shall be last and you're good to go. God understands your heart and your pain. Jesus loves you. That guy just cut me off. The first shall be last, buddy. Thank you for watching another episode of Pro Tips with Pastor Cooper. This is the part of the service where you will now actually get some actual pro tips from the Bible. Thank you. All right, turn to your neighbor and say, how's your dash going? Go ahead. How's your dash going? Pastor Mark, what are you talking about? I'm not a car. I don't have a dash. What? Your dash is your life. It's everything between birth and life. My dash says this, 1973 dash, question mark, right now. At some point, it'll say something different. But one thing is certain, we all have a birth date and an expiration date. It's coming. In between your birth date and your expiration date is what? A dash. And your dash is your life. And God desires that your dash your life be lived well. We're in this study in the book of Proverbs, this section of scripture that God has given us through the wisdom of Proverbs, and God desires for us to live life well. That's, that's the challenge. The challenge is as you and I are endeavoring to live life well, Solomon gives us reality. And the reality is this. You can live your dash wisely, or you can live your dash foolishly. It's up to you. And Solomon spends 31 chapters trying to give us a whole bunch of little wise nuggets and say, here's how you can do it in a wise way. But in order for us to understand life lived well, we must understand some wisdom. We must understand that there really are ways that we can get in a hole and there are ways we can never end up in the hole. That's wisdom. And once we've entered our journey of faith in God, then we understand that we are growing in areas of our life. We're choosing to grow. We want to grow. And understanding Proverbs really helps us with that. I hope you're enjoying Proverbs as much as I am. Proverbs is one of my favorite books. I I love reading a chapter a day, especially in a month that has 31 days. And you can get just some of that wisdom soaking in and getting into your life. Well, this week... Uh, We're going to study chapters 14 through 20. That's what we read last week. And I'm going to point out four major themes that I saw in chapters 14 through 20, and we've been calling them pro tips for living well. And so these are what I picked out as Solomon's major four pro tips. Here's the first one. The first one is the power of words. Ah, man. Solomon majors on this. This is not a minor in the book of Proverbs. This is a major. He talks about the way we communicate a lot. 
In fact, you almost might be able to say that in the book of Proverbs, there's more about specific communication than in any other book in the Bible. And there are lots of verses. Some of them are funny. Some of them are challenging. Some of them are an extreme warning against the way we communicate. So let's talk just a minute about the power of our words. How many of you remember this phrase? I, I remember it from my elementary playground, and maybe it's still in use today. I'm not quite sure. I haven't been on an elementary playground in a while. But how many of you remember this phrase and say it with me if you remember it? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Now, once you got to middle school, you understood what? That's a lie. That ain't true at all. Words can hurt because words are powerful. And Solomon gives us all kinds of great words and verses about the power of our words. In fact, some of you in this room might still be trying to shake off a negative word. Some of you in this room might look in the mirror and what you see in the mirror is what somebody inappropriately or negatively or hurtfully or abusively said to you. And when you look in the mirror, that's what you still see. Can I encourage you? Let the healing words of Jesus and of the Holy Spirit and of God's word begin to change how you see yourself if you're stuck in some hurtful words. But it's true, isn't it? We can look in the mirror and instead of seeing the image of God that God created in the reflection, we see what somebody has told us inappropriately. Here's what Solomon says in one of my favorite verses in the entire book of Solomon, Proverbs 18, 21. In, Sol in Proverbs 18, 21, Solomon says this, your words are so powerful that they will kill or give life and the talkative person will reap the consequences. Wow, that's pretty powerful. Okay, now I used to say this to our kids. Hey kids, you need to get along. You need to talk kindly to one another because your words are either bringing death or life. And that's true, isn't it? That's why in other cases, Solomon says, think before you speak. You ever had your parents say that? Hey, think before you speak. It's true because a negative or a rude or a hurtful word can really do damage. But a positive, encouraging word can bring life and joy and hope and peace to a situation because our words are powerful. In fact, did you know that as Christian people, you and I have the most powerful words in the world because you and I get to share about Jesus Christ. And the message of Jesus Christ is the most powerful life-giving words that have ever been said on this planet where somebody can go from death to life, eternal life, because of the words that we share about Jesus. Our words are powerful. Now Solomon, interestingly, has a bunch of great one-liners about communication. That one little verse that's like a nugget about communication and you read it and you go, whoa, 
that's pretty powerful. I, I need to think about that verse. Listen to a couple of them that I pulled out. Chapter 16, verse 28. He said, a twisted person spreads rumors. A whispering gossip ruins good friendships. Ooh, that's, a, that's one that can get you. I don't want to be a person that spreads rumors or that is a whispering gossip. I don't want to ruin a good friendship. I better be careful what I say. Now, this verse, I'm going to tell you, in our culture, this verse is hard. You know why? Because most people that are in the communication business right now make their money by telling us what? Rumors and lies, negative conversation, and gossip. Let me just give you an example. I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you do it if you can. Uh, I'll let you tune in tonight to ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, or any other news outlet. And you can text me if you hear something like this. We're so glad Donald Trump is our president. He's such a wonderful man. And I'm so glad to be his friend. If you hear that, I'll give you till November. I'll give you a hundred bucks. But I already know the answer. You're not going to hear that, are you? What are you going to hear? You're going to hear twisted words, rumors, gossip. That's what you'll hear. Chapter 19, verse 1 says this. This one's challenging. It's better to be honest even if it leads to poverty than to live as a dishonest fool. I'll bet you none of you woke up this morning thinking I want to be poor. But Solomon says, something that's even more important than how much money you have is what comes out of your mouth. Whew, that's pretty powerful. Turn to your neighbor and say this, don't be a blabbermouth. Go ahead. Don't be a blabbermouth. Chapter 20, verse 19, Solomon says this, a blabbermouth will reveal your secrets. So stay away from people who can't keep their mouth shut. No, no hands need to be raised, but we all know a blabbermouth, right? Don't have to, like, put your hands in your pocket right now. I know one. Blabbermouth's no good. Stay away from them and don't be one yourself. See, here's what we see. Solomon's wisdom to us is this. Words are powerful. And every powerful thing needs careful, careful, careful care. And because we know that words are powerful, we must be careful with them. The next one is a way that we can be careful with our words. Another pro tip from Solomon is the blessing of correction. Now, this one you'll see from the beginning of the book all the way to the end. Almost every chapter has a verse or something about the wisdom 
of correction, the wisdom of constructive criticism or a life-giving rebuke or, or an encouraging word that changes a life, something to that effect. It's the blessing of correction. See, Solomon's view is this, that our relationships with one another are meant to have life-giving instruction built into them. And that as believers, as, as people, we, there can be an, an amazing blessing that comes into our life as we have a friend or a mentor or a teacher or someone in our life that we will go to and say, listen, could you help me with my life? I know, there, I know I'm not perfect and I know there's things I need to change. Do you see anything in me that needs to get worked on that, that, I could, that I could change, right? Now, if I went to all of you, what was the first thing that I should change? See, you don't know how to do it. You don't even know how to give correction. What's one thing? I know there's one thing in the room. There we go, I knew it, there it is. I knew it was out there. They are doing good. Thank you very much. See, that encouraging word, that just helped me so much, Chris. Because I've been waiting to hear that for a decade. <laughs> I wish it wasn't true, but it is. That's right. I know, it's been a long time. It's been a long time. But here's what Solomon says in chapter 15, verse 31 and 32. Listen to it. Super important. Accepting constructive criticism opens your heart to the path of life, making you right at home among the wise. Refusing constructive criticism shows you have no interest in improving your life. For revelation insight only comes as you accept correction and the wisdom that it brings. That's pretty powerful. Here's what Solomon says. Wise people accept correction. People that are walking in wisdom are okay with somebody teaching them. People that want to walk in godly wisdom, in godly knowledge, and want to grow in their relationship with God will constantly be learning and growing and finding areas of your life. Like, I don't think there's ever gonna be a moment in my life until I die and go to heaven that I don't need to work on something. It's just always gonna happen because I'm a sinner and I still have sinful nature inside me and it's just, it's resident there. And, and if I compare myself to Jesus, there's always something to work on, right? It's just always gonna be there. So I'm always gonna need someone in my life to help me open my heart and counsel me, give me good counsel and constructive criticism and say, Mark, you need help in this area. Let's work on that. And we all need that. That's what Solomon is saying. He's saying correction is going to make you smarter. It's going to make you wiser. It's going to make you more like Jesus. It's going to change your life in the areas that you need to. It's going to make you a better person. But you're going to have to open your heart to it. You're going to have to open your mind to it. You're going to have to open your life to constructive criticism because constructive criticism 
will make you wise. The third thing, the third pro tip, is the importance of family. Now this section, 14 through 20, I I thought was interesting because there were more verses in this seven chapters about family than in any of the other chapters. So I chose to talk about the importance of family. And there was one, two verses in particular in chapter 15 that I found astounding. In these two verses, listen to what Solomon says about the family. It's much better to live simply, surrounded in holy awe and worship of God, than to have great wealth with a home full of trouble. It's much better to have a kind, loving family, even with a little, than to have great wealth with nothing but hatred and strife all around you. Mm. Now here's the challenge. The American dream is that we become wealthy and we'll, be, we'll have a great family. That's the American dream. And Solomon would say, that dream doesn't always work out. Now it can, but it doesn't always work that way. See, here's what Solomon would say. Here's reality. If you connect wealth with foolish decisions you'll end up with evil. If you connect wealth with godliness and wisdom, you'll end up with righteous decisions. And if you do that in your family, then you must connect wealth with godly wisdom in order to get a great family. If you connect wealth with being a selfish family, you'll end up with a very difficult family. That's what he's saying. So if you're going for wealth as the answer to your family, then Solomon says, it'd be better that you had none or little and had worship of God, kindness, and love. In fact, I would say that is Solomon's recipe for a great family. Look at it with me. His first ingredient to a recipe for a great family is holy awe and worship of God. Now, this is so true. Holy awe and worship of God, it starts in the family. And can I tell you a little secret? Holy awe and worship of God does not start at church. You say, what? No, it doesn't start at church. It starts at home. It's just enhanced and appreciated here. It's just developed here because we're all doing that at home and we all come together and meet in one place. And so that awe and that worship should take place here because we're all doing it at home. That's what the church is. So if you're counting on your worship to only happen here, it might explain some of the difficult circumstances you're in now. See, worship needs to take place all the time. 
This awe and holy worship of God starts in the family and happens all the time. We just support it at the church. Now, here's some ideas about how to enhance awe and worship of God in your family. How about a family Bible study? Make it simple. Open the Word, open the Bible, read a section together, and then just start talking about it. Ask questions. Open a commentary. Open a website and talk about the things in that section of verses. Read it from several translations and just digest that thing together as a family and talk about it. Pray together. Spend some time in prayer together every day. Pray for your meals together, but have some intentional time of prayer where you pray for your neighbors and your family members and whatever's going on in your heart that you're thinking about and mulling over throughout the day. Just pray together. How about have some worship music playing in the background at home once in a while? It doesn't have to be 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But how about having some worship music just playing in the background? Because our, our modern day worship music is designed to worship God, amen? It's designed to bring out that awe and that worship of God Almighty to praise him and adore him and sing to him and give him adoration. So let's have some worship music playing in the background. That would help with enhance the worship and awe in your home. Here's another thing you can do. Serve the Lord together. As a family, find a place to serve Jesus together. Now, got some good news for you. In just a couple weeks, the best opportunity for you to serve together as a family is coming up at the Candy Corner Carnival. And you can sign up to serve in the commons when you leave this service. Plug. <laughs> right? No, but seriously, it just, it just, the timing just worked out. The Candy Corner Carnival is the best place because everyone as a family, you can bring everyone and you can all together serve and do pumpkin bowling. Like, you know, you, the kids can help set up the little pins and roll the pumpkins. But at every single spot, you and your kids or just you yourself or you and your spouse or how, whatever your family looks like, right? You can come all together and serve a Candy Corner Carnival. It's great. And your kids get even more candy. Like if they go and they do all the booths, they're going to get lots of candy. But then if you serve at a booth, you can get even more candy because as you're giving out candy, you can like one for you, one for me. One for you, one for me. You're getting more candy. Like, man, this is ingenious. Serve together. Have spiritual conversations with one another. Look for moments teachable moments where you can have a spiritual conversation with you and your spouse or you and your kids and just allow that awe and worship of God to transpire. The second ingredients to a great family that Solomon would put in the bowl is kindness. Kindness is a great ingredient to a godly family. I've discovered probably like you have Kindness just makes everything better, doesn't it? Let's do a quick poll. Raise your hand in the room if you like working for a mean boss. Anybody? Anybody? I'm looking. I'm looking. Okay. Nobody. Anybody in the room like working for a kind boss? 
Oh, hands everywhere. Oh, I, I see your hand back there. That's Isaac. He's on staff. <laughs> it's kind of like a, uh, <laughs> right? We all want to work for kind people. That means you want kind parents and kind grandparents and kind aunts and uncles and kind cousins and nephews. We want kindness to be in the family. Now, there's something I think really important about kindness. Kindness makes you approachable. Like, people want to be in your life. They want to talk to you. They want to be around you. They want to be near you when you are kind. You're approachable. One of the things that Kate and I love to do is just hang around with the kids at our church and just hang around them and just be kind to them. Say kind words to them and let them hang out with us and be kind to them. I love this. So, so sometimes when parents come into the church office during the week, their kids will come running down the hallway to my office and want to sit on my lap because I'm kind. It has nothing to do with the M&Ms that are on my desk. It has everything to do with the fact that I am kind. They want a hug first and then the M&Ms, so I think I'm right here. See, especially as parents, I think we need to be kind, and here's why I think that. We need to be approachable. We need to be approachable because at some point your kids are going to leave your home and you want them to transition the authority that you have in their life to God's authority. And what you want them to know while they were in your home is that God is kind like you were kind. And they can transition their life to a kind God that is approachable every second of the day. Whenever they need him, they can run to Jesus where they are safe. Kindness makes that happen. Another ingredient is love. It does all the same things that kindness does because love is essential in a family. Love makes everything work just like kindness does. And without love, everything is difficult. It's, it's essential as well because God is love. And so we want to be loving because we want our kids and people around us to transition love to God. Because they understand that we are loving and we are kind of like this authority figure like God is. So they transition love to God. So we want to be kind. We want to be loving. So we want to develop love and concentrate on loving one another in our family. And displaying a great characteristic of love in one another because God is love. It's his major characteristic. God is love. And so as we are loving to one another, parents to kids, kids to parents, kids to kids, and extended family and neighbors and everyone, that love begins to be who we are. Now, Here's what I've noticed, just like Solomon has. For some reason, it's hard to love people in your family. Like, have you noticed that? Am I the only one that's, that notices? Why is it so hard to love everyone else, everyone in my family, and it's easier for me to love people 
outside my family. Is that because all the people inside my family are just weird? No, can't be that. So why do I struggle with love in my family and it's easier for me to love people outside my family? I think I know why. It's because the enemy of God and of mankind hates family. Satan hates the family. He hates God's design of a man and a woman and kids and raising kids to love Jesus. He hates that with all of his heart. And so he knows that if he can destroy the love in a family, then he can destroy that family. And so he attacks our love for one another. He attacks our kindness for one another. So I want to encourage you, do whatever it takes to love one another. And that doesn't mean that your love won't have, need to be strong sometimes. It will need to be. There will be times where your love has to have boundaries and has to be strong, and, and that's love too. But no, that love is what holds a family together, not just today, but for generations to come. I want to show you one more thing about what Solomon said about the family that is laced all throughout Proverbs, but it just needs to be pointed out. It's a good advice for parents. Chapter 19, verse 18, Solomon said, don't be afraid to discipline your children while they're still young enough to learn. Don't indulge your children or be swayed by their protests. All the protesters, let's gather, to, just raise your hand with me. Protesters in the room? It's okay. We're all protesters in one way or another. Just raise your hand if you're a protester. You're probably an adult right now and you realize that. Protester, right? There's one, another one over there. Yeah, okay, right here. I'm with you. Protesters, right? We just did. We just protested. Not, I, don't, I don't see it in kids today very much. I'll be honest the rest of my message. <laughs> I want you to think about something with me for a moment. There's something very interesting about this idea of discipline and correction and being open to it and understanding the wisdom of it that I think is very spiritual, cultural, societal, psychological. It's, it's in everything in our lives today. I think it's easy for us to see right now, physically on the outside, that discipline is being stripped out of our society. It's easy to see. It's not hard. It's not difficult to see at all that parents are being discouraged to discipline well. Uh, schools are being discouraged heavily. Uh, and it's interesting how it's changed in one generation. In my generation, my principal had a paddle in his office. In this generation, he would go to jail forever, and then they'd put his kids in jail if he did that. Why? We stripped discipline away. So teachers don't have dis the authority to discipline. Principals don't. Parents don't. Police officers don't. Court systems don't. The government doesn't. What are we doing? We're stripping discipline out of our society. Now, why? Why is that happening? 
Well, as you know, not only does the enemy attack you personally, he attacks societies on a whole. And this is how Satan is attacking the United States of America. Because here's what he knows. If I can take discipline, correction, a life-giving rebuke out of a culture, then I will be able to control that culture for generations to come with my foolishness and my evil. Is it working? It's working. It's working. This is why discipline is so important. Now, let me tell you something about correction and discipline. Because, because our society is so down on discipline, if you want to be wise, you are probably going to have to go to somebody else, a mentor or a teacher or a fellow Christian or somebody that you, that you look at and see you want this person in your life because you want their correction. You're probably going to have to go to them and ask them, would you please correct me? Because they won't correct you naturally. Why? Because our culture doesn't allow it. So if you want wisdom from God and you want wisdom from God's word and you want wisdom from the generation above you and you want wisdom in your life, you will most likely have to go ask for it because it is not given out freely anymore. Another consequence of it being stolen from our society. The last pro tip that I see Solomon giving us is the reality about money. The reality about money. Lots of verses in this section, 14 through 20, about money. And in fact, the entire book has lots about money, but it was really, really packed in this seven chapters. There's a strong ethical and theological foundation of money developed throughout Proverbs. And, and here's Solomon's dilemma, and I would say his ethical and theological conclusion about finances. Number one, ethical finances, godly finances are built through hard work and are blessed by God. On the contrary, fast money, easy money, is built at the expense of others and is easily lost and rarely blessed by God. These two ethical balances of what Solomon sees in the culture around him, that godly wealth is built through hard work. Unethical wealth is built at the expense of others. Pyramid schemes. You mean pyramid schemes were happening during Solomon's lifetime? And eh, they have always been happening. You do all the work for me and I get all the money? Yeah, it's been happening for a long time. <laughs> now here's what's interesting. Solomon has firsthand experience about wealth. Nobody would know better about wealth than Solomon. You'll remember last week we talked about the fact that Solomon had about $1.2 billion worth of gold coming into his kingdom every single year. This guy is enormously wealthy. He'd be in the hundreds of billions, maybe into the trillions of dollars in wealth if he was alive today. He'd be the richest man ever to live. 
So he has firsthand knowledge and experience about what wealth does. About what wealth does to your mind, to your actions, to, to your de development, to your habits, to your character. He understands all of that. And here's what's interesting. Even though he's extremely wealthy, he's not very positive about wealth in Proverbs. He's normally fairly negative about it. Why? Because he sees people foolishly connecting wealth with ungodliness and ending up stuck in evil instead of connecting wealth with wisdom and using your wealth and your wisdom for the gain of Christ, for godly purposes. He doesn't see that when he looks in the culture very often. It's possible, and we have biblical examples of it, but most of the time, wealth is destroying people and hurting people. And I think if we took a good panoramic of our country, we would say that the same thing's probably happening now. That in wealthy communities and wealthy homes, there's a lot of evil practices happening. Because wealth allows that to take place. Now, here's what Solomon would say. Money is not the most important thing in life. Now, it's important, but Solomon would say it's not the most important thing in life. In fact, I'm going to show you in a minute. I'm not sure Solomon would even put it on his top 10 list. Interestingly. Now, I will say this. Solomon looks at money the way we do today. He looks at it in terms of value, investment, and return. He looks at his money that way. He, he, he evaluates wealth that way. Value, is it valuable? Investment and return. And here's what I would say Solomon says through the bulk of Proverbs, that many things in life are more valuable than wealth. There are lots of things that we should invest our lives in before money. And that there are lots of things that have a far better return in this lifetime than wealth. Say what, Pastor Mark? Well, here's some things that Solomon said. Things like having God on your side. In chapter 16, verse 8, he said, It's better to have little with a heart that loves justice than to be rich and not have God on your side. Wisdom is more important than wealth. Chapter 16, verse 16. Everyone wants gold, but wisdom's worth is far greater. Solomon said fairness is more important than wealth. He said trusting in God is more important than wealth in chapter 16. And so did the founding fathers of our nation. That's why they, they stamped on our money. In God we trust. Humility, peace, quiet, living debt-free, generosity, honesty. Solomon puts all those things before wealth. Now the challenge for us in America is this. In our country, the mindset is that wealth will fix everything. 
That's the mindset. If I just had more of God. Now, we don't ever hear that phrase. If I just had more money, I'd be okay. Is that true? Solomon would say, no, that's not true. I got a whole bunch more things you could need. You need God on your side. You need to trust in the Lord. You need some peace and quiet, right? Oh, man, I'll take that. If that doesn't cost me anything, that's pretty valuable. How many of you would take that right now? How many of you with a two-year-old would take peace and quiet over anything else in the world? I see your hand. I see your hand, right? <laughs> it's more valuable than anything in the world to you right now. A good night's sleep, right? See, Solomon would say this mindset that wealth will fix everything, that wealth makes everything better, that's foolishness. It doesn't. Let me close with this story. I had the privilege when I was in Bible college of going to Africa. And the professor that took us on the trip had a catchphrase for the trip. And his point was to help us as we go to another nation realize what we have back home. And so everywhere we went as we experienced things in Africa, our professor would say this, reality check, just to get our minds thinking. And what he was trying to say is you don't see this in America very often, but he was also on occasion trying to say, maybe what you think is important because you're an American really is not. Because this country's doing fine without it. And there's a lot of great benefits. So for instance, as we'd be walking down the street and there'd be raw sewage running down the street, he'd say, reality check. Don't see that very often in Chini. When we would see a whole bunch of kids running down the street without clothes and they're running towards the dump because it's where they live, because it's the only place they have to live. Reality check. When we were driving down the road in our van with all of our, the students in the van and the driver is driving like a maniac and he's left and right and left and right and you look out the window and you see why. It's because there's potholes, huge potholes every 10 feet in the road and you feel like you're on a roller coaster and you just want to get off and throw up, reality check, driving on a nice road. And I, I, this is going to shock you for just a moment. I'm talking about roads that are better than Spokane roads. This is, this is a nightmare. You think the potholes in Spokane are bad, where you have to avoid two or three between here and the Y? Try to avoid 10,000 between here and the Y. That's what I'm talking about. Reality check. When we got stuck in a traffic jam one time, and like everybody's gridlock, and you're like, why are we going anywhere? That's a roundabout. Everybody tells us they're, they're ingenious. <laughs> they keep the traffic flowing. Why are we in a traffic jam? What's up there? Oh, 
It's an elephant. <laughs> Reality check. And when we had a meal with a woman who fed us the last bit of her rice and cooked her only chicken just for us, and we had a great meal, and we sat around together and we talked about Jesus, and we talked about faith in Jesus, and we talked about how great it is to have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We had a great evening, and at the end of the evening, I thought, I'm going to give her five bucks for giving us a meal, which, by the way, five bucks would feed her for a month there. I tried to give her my money, and she said, oh, you silly American. You think money fixes everything. I go to the market every single day, and I have no money in my pocket. And I pray as I go into the market, and every day, God gives me what I need. The rice and the chicken you ate today, I had no money for. I just showed up in the market yesterday, and God provided. And that's how I've lived my life. And that's how I will continue to live it. See, faith is more important than money. In fact, there's lots of things that are more important than money. And that means that you and I are going to have to fight upstream on that one because the culture's got it backwards. Would you stand with me?